Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we have another special guest, Luciano. How you doing, man? Hey, hello, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm great. I, I hope I'm cr- pronouncing your name correctly. Oh, yeah, this is really good. Thanks. Okay, awesome. So, Luciano, before we start, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your creation journey, and what kind of content you create? Absolutely. So, I am a software engineer. I've been in the industry for about 15 years. And probably the most famous or most successful achievement that I have is being the co-author of a famous programming book called Not Just the Same Patterns. I, I have it here for the video. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this book has been, I guess, relatively successful for being a programming book uh, mm-hmm. and has been around for a while. There are already three editions in the market. In terms of day-to-day job, I work as a senior architect for a company called Fortiorem, which is based in Ireland, but we are a remote-first company. It's kind of a relatively small and new service company, which is specialized on AWS, cloud computing, and serverless. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of what I do day-to-day with the company, working for a bunch of different customers. Uh, so in terms of content creation, of course, as a software engineer, I tend to create content for, for software engineers. I think I started around 10 years ago doing that when I opened my, my personal blog, where I was basically posting about experiments and things that I learned while developing my career as a software engineer. Uh, two years ago, I was awarded by Microsoft the title of Most Valuable Professional, which is a title that basically uh, Microsoft gives to people that like to evangelize software engineering and share their expertise. So it's like it's definitely a, a good achievement to get because it kind of proves that my efforts are, are being valuable to the software engineering community. That's awesome, and man. Like, congrats, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, in terms of content creation, I also do a bunch of other small things. And mm-hmm. it might feel like a lot, but I try to be very efficient with the time I dedicate to all this activity. One mm-hmm. is... Um, a newsletter called Full Stack Bulletin, which is like a weekly newsletter. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a curation thing. I try to, to push seven articles every week based on the ones that I found most interesting the previous week. So it's not necessarily article, articles that I write, but it's more things that I found interesting in the industry. I also have a weekly podcast with uh, Owen Shanai, who is the CTO and co-founder of Fortiorem, the company I work for, where we talk about news in the world of AWS, our take on certain different things that are happening in the cloud. I, I still publish blog posts every once in a while. I'm also very active on Twitter, LinkedIn, publishing tips and chatting with people about random tech subjects. And finally, quite recently, this is something I started about one year ago with two friends. We started to live stream on Twitch uh, Mm. our attempt at solving coding challenges in Rust, which is a new language that we are trying to learn. So it's just kind of a nice way to combine content creation Mm. with learning while having fun with with friends. So it's still an experiment. I'm having a lot Mm. of fun. I don't know if people are actually getting value out of this, but for me, it's been extremely interesting and fun to do. That's awesome, man. Like, uh, uh, Twitch uh, is really interesting when it comes to streaming. So I was curious, like, why didn't you go with YouTube Live, for instance, instead of, like, Twitch? That's a good question. I don't know if I put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> we we publish all the recordings on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where people can, can check out all the previous episodes of the show. 
But yeah, I don't know. I think I've seen many other programmers using Twitch and probably that was the, the main driver. I, I like that Twitch has a lot of interactivity and gamification. Mm -hmm. Like you can have, you can do polls, you can have people like triggering actions on your stream, which I don't know how feasible all of that is with YouTube. With Twitch, it seems like it's built in into the experience. Yeah, yeah. Twitch is a way more, uh, let's say, uh, way more... Uh, advanced when it comes to live streaming and YouTube is just trying mm -hmm. to catch up in that sense. Um, so Luciana, I want to ask you about which platform are you mainly focused on? So you said you work on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you have some mm -hmm. uh, blogging, uh, you know, uh, features that you, you talked about. So which platform would you say is your main platform um, if that's the case? Yeah, in terms of social media, probably Twitter is the one I, I use the most and the one I put the most effort throughout the last few years. Um, so probably that's that's one of the main platforms I would suggest to use if you want to engage with me and make sure that, that you get a quick answer. Uh, in terms of content creation, I, I think I used a bunch of different platforms and I try to be lightweight. And as a software mm -hmm. engineer, I try to automate things whenever I can. I can give you an example, for instance, for, for the newsletter, I, I use MailChimp for Full Stack Bulletin. I use MailChimp as a newsletter provider, but because it's kind of a content curation activity, what I ended up doing is trying to automate as much as I can the entire workflow. So it's a weekly thing and it's based on the articles that I've read the previous week. So what I'm, I basically end up doing is every time I see an article that's interesting and I've read it and it looks like something that can be interesting for other people in the industry, I put it on, on Twitter on an account that is dedicated to Full Stack Bulletin mm -hmm. and it's scheduled so that, that account is kind of already promoting interesting things continuously. Then every week I have a script that runs in the cloud that takes all the tweets from the previous week, does some sort of ranking, like it tries to figure out which one are the seven articles that made the most sense or people kind of reshare more. And then it compiles a preview of the newsletter based on that. I have a template and all. Then at that point, I just get uh, the preview on MailChimp and I'm just going to go in and edit it and make it nice, fix all the picture descriptions and so on. And basically, I'm able to do all that workflow in, I don't know, depending on how it came out well on its own, probably from between five minutes and half an hour of manual work to make it look nicer. Okay. So, so uh, yeah. having said that, uh, now I know that you are actually a developer, <laughs> yeah. you know, automating all of this, right? Yeah, there is actually a funny joke in the software engineering community. It's like, why should you, um, should you do a one-hour job when you can spend a week automating it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have some friends who are developers. Like, uh, I come from a background of graphic design, but I had mm -hmm. friends who were developers, and I, I can totally see that. Like, um, there's, there's this, like, this challenge thing, right? Like, you want to do it your own way. Um, Luciano, I want to ask you about uh, Instagram. So you said you you were uh, posting some things on LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, done anything on like Instagram Reels? So the reason I'm asking is because I mm -hmm. see a lot of like software developers doing those kind of Reels of like, you know, the, the process of doing code. Some of them are kind of funny. Some of them are just like mm -hmm. um, mu musical kind of like uh, videos. And uh, I, was, I was wondering, like, have you ever, um, you know, uh, tried that or... It's not really your thing. I haven't tried it already, but I, I agree with you. I've seen some of them that are extremely funny, but at the same time, they are very educational. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it, it requires a certain skill to have that, that balance between making something funny that still has a very strong educational value. So fair play to the people that are able to achieve that, but it's not mm-hmm. something I, I have tried yet. Okay. Um, so l- let's move on talking about your process um, in mm-hmm. terms of creating content. Can you walk us through what kind of software or tool you mostly rely on? Uh, it could be like a video editing software, a mm-hmm. blogging feature that you rely on, uh, maybe even your hardware, what kind of hardware you use. Just walk us through the, the technical mm-hmm. part of your creating a content process. Yeah, so we already mentioned the automation for the newsletter. Um, in general, I try to, to be as lightweight as possible. For instance, for my blog and most of the, the kind of written content, I, I tend to use Markdown as much as possible. Uh, can I you tell if... us about Markdown? Uh, I, I kind of heard the name, but maybe mm-hmm. somebody doesn't know what it is. Can you tell us about it? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a very um, simple, I would say, maybe for a software engineer, it feels simple, but I, I don't know if everyone else <laughs> would agree. But it's effectively like a text format. Like it's not okay. a technology, like it's not a, a, a software per se. It's more a format that you can use to write text into. And mm-hmm. the idea is that you are not going to be spending too much time selecting text and applying style because you basically can write for instance an hashtag before a line and that means this is a title then if you leave Mm -hmm. for instance two empty lines between a section and another you are basically creating paragraphs and basically it's just a very quick way to just keep writing and don't think too much about styling so you Mm -hmm. it's at least for me it's easier to focus on what i'm trying to write rather than thinking too much about okay what's going to be the final style and then basically there are different tools that can take that file as an input and actually produce HTML pages. So this okay. is... Uh, uh, w- w- sorry, one question that comes to mind while mm-hmm. you explaining this, would you recommend this to someone who's not a developer or only for developers? I think if you find yourself writing a lot of text, uh, the learning curve is actually fairly small. Mm-hmm. So I think you might end up having a very big advantage in terms of really just thinking about things that matter to you, which is probably the content and the flow of what you're writing, rather than thinking about, I want to make this particular word bold or italic, and then you, you stop yourself, you select the word and click somewhere else, and then you lost your train of thought. You're literally With describing Mar- my workflow. <laughs> exactly. With Markdown, basically, you just need to learn, for instance, that if you put an asterisk before and mm-hmm. after that particular word, it's going to become italic when you render the final output. Mm. So it's there are different softwares that make that process easy. Like as you apply the, the rules of Markdown, they already show you a preview. So you get the best of both worlds. But yeah, Markdown per se is just a file format. Then you have so many different tools that, that can use that to, to produce documents. So, uh, so someone might ask like, uh, okay, so what's the difference between doing it this way with Markdown or just mm-hmm. like the regular way, which is like you write text without any formatting? And then at the mm-hmm. end, you spend like five minutes doing the titling and like different formatting. So what's the, what's the benefit in terms of time uh, spending and all this stuff in your experience? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in, in my personal workflow, what I do when I try to write an article is generally come up with like a, already a structure. Uh, for instance, I would think about what are the main sections of this article and just try to write down some titles. So already just being able in that phase to say hashtag title, hashtag another title, hashtag another title, and have a preview that already shows that like the big text in bold 
mm-hmm. I think it kind of helps me to to visualize how it's going to be the final output without having to apply any formatting manually myself. And then I keep iterating that way. Then I start to write a little bit of a paragraph, another little bit of a paragraph. Generally, it can even be like a bullet list where uh, I'm just going to put down what are the main points that I want to discuss in this paragraph. And with Markdown, you just do a dash and then space and one item. And then if you do that for every line, it's already rendering a bullet list. So it's extremely mm. quick for you to to put something down, but at the same time, you see some formatting, and that formatting gives you a good idea for what's going to be like the final look of your article. So I think it's at least for me works well because it's kind of a trade-off between not spending too much time formatting, but still getting enough formatting to have a feeling for what's going to be the final outcome of of the article. Okay, I, I now I get the, how it works. Um, if I'm honest, as a designer, mm-hmm. I think this will not be something that designers will use because we're kind of visual learners mostly. Mm-hmm. So we, we like to see what we're doing, uh, as, at least speaking my, uh, about my experience and other people I know. But I, I think this is going to be very helpful for people like maybe you or other, mm-hmm. not, not really for developers, but people generally who want to, like you said, create content and don't want to be bogged down by the styling and the design part of it. So I think it's really mm-hmm. useful. Uh, can, you, uh, can you spell it for us? Markdown is just like English, right? Markdown. Mark, M-A-R-K, down. D-O-W-N. Down, okay. So, okay. Uh, By the way, I-O, if you right? use... Uh, I'm not sure what's the official website. But yeah, it's, it's just okay. a format that you can find in many tools. I think even Notion supports a good degree Oh, really? Of so I love Notion. So, That's how I write my uh, script for YouTube. Yeah, so so in that sense, Notion, of course, is innovative in many ways, but they mm-hmm. are just reusing this Markdown technology. So, for instance, mm-hmm. in Notion, if you just do a dash and a space, it Im- immediately becomes a bullet point item, right? Oh, okay. And, and this is just, let's say, stalling or yeah, yeah, yeah. taken from Markdown. But, yeah, they, they, they are using the technology, which is something you can leverage in many other tools and workflows. Okay. That's awesome. I really love Notion because of... Uh, the, the features that they have, it's really a powerful tool. Uh, like mm-hmm. I, I feel that I'm only using like 5% of the, the features. It's so overwhelming. Absolutely. Um, I agree with so you. That, that's, yeah, that's Markdown. Uh, anything else they use in terms of creating content? So basically just to structure our talk, uh, Markdown basically using it for uh, creating text content or written mm-hmm. content for blogging. Right? Um, exactly. And we move on yeah. to other type of content and what kind of tools you use. Yeah, there is another tool that I like a lot for social media management. It's called Feed Hive. Mm-hmm. Um, this tool is basically a mix between a tool that allows you to schedule posts. So, for instance, if you have interesting ideas and you don't like you, you just want to promote it in a moment where you think it makes sense, or you want to try to distribute all your content over time rather than just publishing all in one go, Feed Hive allows you to literally see a calendar. And you might create in advance all the interesting slots for you in the mm-hmm. calendar. And then it helps you to make sure every week you are filling out all your slots for content content promotion or just making sure that you are visible and available on social media. And the other cool feature of FeedIve is that it, it does also a few interesting analytics things. For instance, mm-hmm. you can see the posts that were received the best by your audience. And uh, therefore, you can understand, okay, this particular topic is maybe something I should expand on and create more mm-hmm. content. Or uh, if you're running out of ideas, there is also a section for idea generation where you can see p- 
people kind of in the similar in a similar space to you what kind of content they are creating what kind of content is resonating best with their audience and if you are still not finding anything there are kind of generic suggestion i don't know talk about a recent success that you had or talk about i don't know a failure and what did you learn so it's really interesting because it kind of pushes you to always be active in the in the social space uh, would, and, would you say this is similar to the other, uh, you know, social media management tools like Hootsuite and Buffer, or is it a bit different uh, in different, I, I mean, in, I think in different it's aspects? very similar. Yeah, it's okay. very similar in terms of the main feature. What I like is that they are putting a lot of effort in not just scheduling, but also making sure that you find uh, the right spot of what kind of content really your audience mm -hmm. enjoys and push you to, to do more of that. And also there are other kind of new cool features. For instance, there is this social inbox feature that I haven't seen in other software like that, where basically one page, you can see all the comments that you received on Twitter and mm. LinkedIn, and you can literally just reply one by one, and it will kind of move on to the next one automatically. So it's just a nice way to make sure you're not missing out any reply to, to people, which I find myself it can happen very easily if you just use Twitter UI yep. on the web or LinkedIn UI on the web because you have to move from one page to another for every single That's uh, actually very, very useful. Like I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Like I have a lot of social accounts and uh, like jumping from one to the other. Sometimes mm -hmm. you miss replies and people are like, hey, why are you not replying to my comment? And like, I wish I, I, I wish I saw it. Like it just, it just disappeared or like it went to a black hole. Yeah. The internet so yeah that's going to be a useful feature yeah the um, other cool thing is that yeah. it keeps showing you all the comments that you haven't replied to so it's oh. not like you you just see it once and then you don't see it again you literally have to explicitly say i don't want to reply to this one if you want yeah. to leave it alone and not reply so it's actually i think it's really meant for that use case of people missing out on comments mm -hmm. and making sure that you really address everyone that's really an awesome feature uh so what's the name again feed Feed Hive, H-I-V-E. -V -E. Okay, Feed Hive. Awesome. Um, any other tool you want to share with us in terms of creating content? Yeah, another one that, uh, because I, I do also quite a bit of like public speaking and technical mm -hmm. presentations. So there is a tool that I really like for creating slides online that is called literally slides.com. Okay. And it's very good because it's very simple to use. Mm -hmm. uh, like it looks Are like you PowerPoint. Familiar are you familiar with pitch.com, which is a Actually, similar no, tool? I, I okay. haven't used that one, uh, but maybe very similar. It's like a tool mm -hmm. to build slides deck. And then there are a couple of features that I really like. For instance, you, you immediately get a live URL for your slides. So you don't need to say, oh, I'm going to publish these slides later and give you the, mm -hmm. the URL. No, when you have your slides, you already have a public URL. So you can easily even put that same public URL in your own slides. So while you are presenting, you can just say, these are the slides, put a QR code there, and people can immediately scan the QR code and get a copy of the slides even before you start talking. Wow. And then you can also have this feature to present online interactively. So you could even give people a link that already moves the slides while you are talking. So there is uh, also this feature, which I don't use it that much, but I suppose it can be convenient when That's, maybe... Uh, yeah, I, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, maybe when you don't have like a big screen or something and you want to make sure people somehow have the slides moving in their own, um, I don't okay. know, laptop or mobile, whatever. Uh, I, I was going to say that's what uh, Canva is moving towards. Like 
Canva now. Mm, interesting. Uh, they, yeah, they're doing the live presentation thing, and and I've seen them uh, really like investing in this a lot now. A lot of more, uh, a lot of features that maybe are copied mm. from other platforms, and it's it's a, it's, That's it's interesting. A, it's a wild uh, war out there for the online Absolutely. presentation, you know, realm. Uh, in in terms of video, Luciano, do you do you uh, do uh, video editing, or uh, is that something you outsource, or? So we do very lightweight video editing for the AWS Bytes podcast and for the Twitch live stream after we complete the stream, we download it and we publish on YouTube. And for that, I end up using DaVinci Resolve. Mm-hmm. But literally, I am not a sophisticated user. I only know how to create a track, put a video there, maybe slice it a little bit, increase a little bit the speed or remove some silence here and there. Mm-hmm. But like that, that, that's all I do. Like I, I'm not a very proficient user of this kind of tools. Okay. Um, now that we talked about the technical aspect of your content creation, uh, can you walk us through a content creation day? Uh, if you have that. So the reason I'm asking this is mm-hmm. uh, interviewing, you know, multitude of creators from different parts of the world. I, I've seen this kind of pattern. Some creators, they have dedicated days for creating content, mm-hmm. like Monday, Tuesday, Friday, whatever. And some creators, they have like flexible scheduling. Which category are you in? And can you tell us a bit more about your scheduling and creation day? Yeah, I think I am a bit of a mix between the mm-hmm. two. Because for certain things, because they are recurring activities, I mm-hmm. need to have kind of like a schedule to some extent. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, other ones like, I don't know, creating articles, they are mostly driven by, I don't know, did they learn something interesting that I want to share recently? Or did they work on an interesting project that I want to present in a conference or something like that? But, but do you have it, like, a, for the articles, do you have like a structure around like, let's say uh, I, I need at least one article a week, but it doesn't matter which day I'm going to create. Or is it like, uh, it doesn't matter the, the frequency. So what I'm asking is about the frequency. Mm-hmm. Is there like a structure for the frequency or what's 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 going on there yeah so there is no frequency for articles and Mm -hmm. for talking at conferences or meetups it's more literally on demand when i feel like okay i have something to share for the podcast and the newsletter definitely there is a schedule it's weekly and i try to figure out how to stick to that weekly schedule so a few things that help me there are um, i'm very lucky with my work because i get fridays to focus on this kind of activities. And it's even if it's paid work time, that the company recognizes that it's extremely valuable for even making the company itself visible. So it's, it's something that I get time to, to work. Mm-hmm. So every Friday I can spend most of my time focusing on, okay, is there any piece of content that I can produce that makes sense or should I just focus on the next episode of the podcast? So that that's something that helps a lot. But other than that, I, I will find some time during the week that is a little bit random, depending when I have time, where I have inspiration to focus on other things. Like, I don't know, uh, if I'm writing an article or maybe coming up with a code example, I will try to figure out some time in between work where I can focus on that and start to do some progress. It tends to be like, um, I think all the weekly activities are very fast in terms of my time is very well organized and I'm going to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, while all the other activities, they tend to be very slow and spread spread out over time. So I might be working on an article, for instance, for three weeks, just when I have a little bit of time, do a little bit of progress, and then eventually I will publish the article. 
while for the podcast we have figured out a schedule where um because this is an activity that we do in two people so we need to come up with kind of a soft script for what we want mm-hmm. to say and generally one of the two people starts and then the other person joins and tries to add something then we just meet on riverside we we do the recording almost live like most of the time we don't really need to do many edits because it's kind mm-hmm. of a conversation like the one we are having right now but it's literally we might be spending one hour to come up with the script one hour to go in do the recording then maybe another half an hour to just uh, cut the recording down and create the video, upload and add all the description and so on. So I think we, we are able at this point to produce a new episode with, I don't know, three to five hours of work, which mm-hmm. I think is very efficient for yeah. for two people. What was, was, so was that a decision that came uh, on purpose? Like, oh, uh, we want to make it streamlined or was it like... Uh more okay this is the way we're going to try it now and it turned out to be a, a seamless process so the reason i'm asking about this because i had like a mm-hmm. so i have a tech channel and i, I had a podcast for tech with the other co-hosts in a different city with different time zones and you know it was really mm-hmm. uh, difficult to get things uh, working seamlessly and when i did this podcast which is the content creator life i had to mm-hmm. learn from that experience and make it a little bit more seamless and uh, straightforward is, is there something that you learned before starting the podcast that helped you make it streamlined or is it just like trying different things and it turned out this way i think we are trying different things still like actually when we started the podcast we initially called uh like the subtitle of the podcast was like five minutes of aws news <laughs> every week and then we realized that uh, it was actually really cool at the beginning because we didn't have to spend a lot of time and it was very easy to think about content ideas because anything could be easily fit in five minutes and, and you're done with one particular issue. But then we realized that when we wanted to discuss topics that were a little bit more advanced, five minutes were never enough. And we <laughs> ended up doing like 15 minutes and then eventually yeah. 20 minutes and then eventually 25 minutes. And it, like that, it didn't make sense anymore to have that subtitle. People were like, mm-hmm. yeah, you say five minutes, but you never really do five minutes. <laughs> so that was one of the experiments we did. And eventually we moved away from that model. But I think because we do this as a kind of side project in the company, Mm-hmm. We need to be very efficient. Like this is not, of course, it kind of brings visibility to the company and to ourselves as professionals, but there isn't really a direct economic value to the podcast. So we want to be as efficient as possible with our time investing on the podcast. Like we might be easily be spending an entire week if we really want to be fancy and try to mm-hmm. do all sorts of interesting things, but that wouldn't be, I guess, economically feasible because we need to spend our time working with customers so we can get paid, right? Yeah. So so I think that the combination of these two things, try to experiment and being efficient and actually constraints in the amount of time we can spend on this lead us to be very, very efficient. There are things that we would like to do better. For instance, we don't do a lot of captioning and making sure that the captions are right. We don't do a lot of, I don't know, advertisement in advance, like next week, we're going to be talking about this. So make sure you stay connected. We end up actually improvising a a little bit every week because we don't have a lot of time to pre-plan everything in advance. So there are things we wish we could do better. Maybe eventually we'll find a way to still be efficient while making the whole production quality even better. 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a learning process. And even with this podcast, like uh, I was doing uh, captions and, and transcription mm-hmm. with this Descript and putting it all there, but it took me a lot of time to, um, you know, kind of like organize the text and like mm-hmm. uh, correct some mistakes. I'm like, I, I was like uh, with myself, like, I was like, wait a second, why am I doing this? It's a podcast. It's supposed to be a natural conversation. It's not like a scripted. Yeah. So I, I came with it with the, with the aspect of YouTube. So I'm very familiar with YouTube scripting and I tried to apply that to the podcast and then realized, wait a second, I'm just overcomplicating things and uh, start to kind of make it simpler and streamlined. So it's, it's always a learning process and I, I can totally Absolutely. understand it. Um, Luciano, I want to move on talking about the psychological part of creating mm-hmm. content, which is a big deal for all of us because after all, we're not machines, we're not a script, we're not a code, we're human beings, right? <laughs> So sometimes yes. you wake up with a lot of energy. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes you have bad days. Sometimes you have good days. But when it comes to creating content, we need a lot of energy, especially the creative process. You need like this constant flow of ideas. The uh, mm-hmm. positive energy should be there. What are the things that you do to keep yourself uh, in this high performance mode? And how do you stay there? Is there something that you do outside of work, outside of your, let's say, uh, daily routine? Maybe meditation, maybe gym, maybe uh, some things you do in the morning that keeps you really in that zone of creativity? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I don't know if I have um, like a clear answer, but I can try to talk about a few few ideas that come into my mind. One thing that I do and... I don't do it deliberately. I think I just like to do it is to follow different people that are creative in different industries, like not necessarily in the the range of like coding, programming, Mm -hmm. software engineering, but a lot actually more outside. Like I really like a lot to follow people on Instagram that are illustrators and they show all their creative process and all their illustrations and actually end up following a lot of people with with very different styles just because Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see like how those kind of people can use their own creativity to produce things like out of the blue. And I'm always amazed to see all these things. And the same for musicians. Like I I end up listening a lot of very different music styles, mostly every day while I'm working. I I, almost all the time, if I'm not in a call, listening to music. Mm -hmm. And I also follow one category that I really love is game makers, like video game makers, Mm. because I think that's a unique combination of storytelling, music, coding, uh, graphics. Uh, so j- there are a lot of them that, for instance, do live streams on Twitch and they show their entire creative process. And I'm always amazing of the amount of skills that th- these people have in totally different areas and they can combine all the skills together to produce a video game. So I think yeah, by just following I, I, all I, this... Yeah, I have to ask, are you a gamer yourself? And I wouldn't consider myself an hardcore gamer. I mm-hmm. do try to play game every once in a while, just to, I find it refreshing and just to disconnect a little bit and just play a game. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be an hardcore game gamer as I used to be maybe when I was in my, I don't know, 16 to 18 years old. I was playing a lot more hours every day at that time. Yeah. It's, it's funny, like for me, like, so I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I have a tech channel and... I, I'm also a PC gamer, and I found an mm-hmm. excuse to play games, which is basically so I have uh, you know Xbox controllers right here uh, for nice. PC. But um, I found an excuse, which is make a new channel for gaming, 
to kind of like mm-hmm. kill two birds with one stone. Like if I'm going to game, I'm going to stream at the same time. It's just like a hobby channel. And nice. it's been really working well for me because I, I know the feeling of like, how can you discipline yourself of, in terms of like, don't play too much mm-hmm. game and you forget about the, you know, business content creation. But at the same time, I feel that, like you said, following gamers or even playing a game can open the creative aspects of your brain that maybe not going to be, uh, you know, uh, explored with different uh, things, right? Like different disciplines. Mm-hmm. And I feel like gaming, in, in especially for creators, can be a great way to um, be more creative and come up with new ideas. And uh, especially for me, it's helped a lot to kind of like have a mm-hmm. balance between not gaming too much and at the same time using that energy to create content. Absolutely. And I think if you, especially if you follow that indie gaming world, mm-hmm. there are people with so many amazing ideas and they can really give you so many different inputs that then maybe even unconsciously you are going to end up using in your own creative work. So I definitely agree with that point where gaming may be a little bit of fun and getting relaxed, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can get a lot of inputs, even unconsciously, that then you can reuse in your own day-to-day content creation activities. And I, I, uh, by the way, it's also a great way to um, like improve your response time in general. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Depending what kind Absolutely. of games you're playing. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Luciano, I want to move on talking about your mentor or your biggest mentor in life. So this question is basically about what kind of book, person, or anything in life that you consider as a mentor, and it had a big influence and impact on your life. It could be a dead person, a live person, could be a book, ancient, modern, anything in life that you consider Mm -hmm. a mentor. Yeah, this one is kind of a hard question to to try to reply to for me because I think in in tech, uh, you are exposed to so many people and so many different content creators because it's such a wide topic and things are changing every day that it's really hard to find that one person that has taught Mm -hmm. you the most. I think, or or maybe, uh, or maybe in your in your career as well, like uh, as a software developer, do you look up to guys like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates? I don't know any other coders, mm. uh, uh, people like that that really inspire you for your career, but also can inspire you in life in general, right? Yeah, I think there might be a few big, famous players, but I think that every one of them comes with their own flows. That most of the time, people pretend they don't see the flows. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say against Steve Jobs or Bill Gates because they've been inspirational for many people and definitely very important in the technology world. But also they had many flows and people don't don't talk too much about those, yep. which I wish they, they did a little bit more. So maybe I want to give a shout out to people that have been working more directly and they've been helping me a lot. For instance, I want to give a shout out to Mario Cacciaro, who is the co-author of, of the book I mentioned before. And he actually wrote the first edition of the book alone and then involved me from the second edition. So he gave me an amazing opportunity to learn more and develop my career and become a book author while standing on the shoulders of giants because I didn't have to do everything from scratch. I was basically working with him, learning from him and working on a book that already had a very solid ground. So definitely want to give him a shout out as somebody that has been inspirational for me and also helped me a lot to develop uh, my career. Then there are other two content creators, I'm going to say, that I I like to follow every once in a while. And they are very good. They are not necessarily in the technology space, but I think they're influencing a lot my way of seeing content creation. 
One is Ali Abdal, who has a very famous mm. YouTube channel. I love Ali Abdal. Uh, awesome. And he, he talks about so many different things, but the part that I like the most from his YouTube videos is when he talks about his content management workflow, uh, like for instance, how he uses Notion and room research and all these kind of tools. But also you can see if you have been following him for a while, you can see that when he was a solo creator, he had a very specific workflow. And mm-hmm. now that he has a team behind him creating content every day, he actually did recently a few videos showing how all that original process evolved to support multiple people in the process. So it's really interesting to just see how people come up with always new ideas, organize them, and then from the idea to actually have something production ready that they can share with people. And another group is uh, this group of people called Ship 30 for 30. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Mm, not really. It's, it's a group of... Um, I think that their background is being copywriters. So mm-hmm. they are a lot more focused on, on the writing side of creating content. And they have this podcast. Uh, they have this program, which is basically you challenge yourself to create 30 Twitter threads uh, in a month. Uh, so one every day. And then basically you should be learning and be, be getting a lot more confident. But that's, I have actually haven't tried that one. The reason why I'm following them is because they generally post videos on YouTube, which are like conversations with other professionals, where they try to describe like all the tools that they use. And the one that I love the most is where they present this AAA, AAA for A's framework which is like a framework that you can use to generate new content ideas. So it's like, if you Mm. don't know, you want to talk about something, but you don't really know how to structure it and how many different things you can do around that topic, you can literally apply this framework. And I actually tried it myself and you can come up with like hundreds of articles, ideas or video ideas. So it's extremely interesting to see. Can you talk us a bit? Yeah, walk us through like this, uh, let's say, quattro uh, or... Four A's uh, strategy. Four A's, like, yeah. yeah. What is it about? Yeah, it's basically, it kind of helps you to understand if you have an idea. I don't know, for instance, I want to talk about Markdown, right? Because we, we mentioned Markdown today. Mm-hmm. It kind of pushes to think how many different types of article can come out from this one idea. And, and it kind of pushes you to think more about... Uh, uh what is the final thing you want to give to people and to be more specialized and maybe produce a bunch of different specialized content rather than one big generic piece of content for instance you can come up with an article that says uh, uh, using markdown for podcast creation or even for um i don't know even more specific to that you can say podcast creation in the financial space right mm-hmm. so it kind of try to push you to think okay who is your audience what kind of content are you doing? Is this an inspirational content? Is a content based on, I don't know, presenting statistics? Like you can create a content. Why more and more people are using Markdown today? Or I don't know. Uh, it can be like a content where you want to highlight your own personal challenge and how that challenge made you better. For instance, yeah. I don't know. How I learned to drop Microsoft Word and move to Markdown. Or so the, they, the, they can... the famous one on YouTube, how Markdown changed my life. <laughs> something like that so it kind yeah. of makes you think about all the different common ways of structuring content and it forces you to think how can i apply these different strategies and these different types of audiences to my specific idea and then you mm-hmm. literally come up with a tree of from one root idea you can kind of derive so many different types of content and of course you don't have to work on all of them at that point you can decide okay i want to cover this topic extensively so i'm going to create mm-hmm. i don't know 
a list of posts that I'm going to start writing over time. Or maybe you just say, no, I want to focus on this particular one because I think it's the best uh, angle for my idea mm -hmm. and don't cover all the other ones. Yeah, you can so start this... to filter after some time, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, do you know what the uh, A's stand for? That's my oh, question. I actually, I actually had it somewhere. Now I don't remember. Uh, it's okay, no worries. Um, so yeah, like the, this strategy, I think will will really help a lot of people creating content, uh, especially when it comes to not having the clear ideas about what topics to talk about and how can I, you know, how can you like diversify your your type of content. Uh, Luciano, mm -hmm. I want to want to ask you now about um, the wild side of the internet or what I would like to call the dark side of the internet. Um, yes. Have you ever had any uh, experience with negative comments, negative feedback, maybe even toxic or trolling uh, people? Mm. And how did you deal with that? Because for me, this is a big question for creators because I know personally people who, um, let's say, had a big following or big uh, uh, business creating content, but they literally gave up on it because of this. So it's a big deal when it comes to online content and... I want to talk to you about it in terms of how did you deal with it if that was the case? Yeah, sure. So um, I have to say, first of all, that um, in the tech industry, we're probably a little bit lucky. Because, yeah, I, I always say that. We're yeah. so privileged and lucky. Like it's, 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 yeah. it's a very, very different story with other uh, niche content. Yeah, I think in tech, most people recognize that... Um, <clears throat> you are kind of in this journey where there is a lot to learn and nobody is really proficient in anything. Like everyone is still learning. So I think you don't get as many haters or trollers or whatever mm -hmm. we want to call them that, that are going to just say, oh, you are not good enough to do this. So in that sense, I think it's a, it's a better environment to be in for content creator. Mm -hmm. But of course, you still end up having a lot of negative feedback and sometimes Especially the fanboys. Yeah. Like I had the experience with the Apple products. Like uh, mm -hmm. I start to kind of like just uh, talk about some aspects of the MacBook, for example, when the M1 came, mm -hmm. um, that th this is something that you should be aware of, like the Bluetooth had issues and stuff. And I remember mm -hmm. getting those kind of like comments that it, it felt so negative at the time because th that was the first time I kind of got those kind of comments. But then when I talked to other creators, they, they were like laughing at me like, is that is, that's not negative that's that, that's cute you know <laughs> compared to what they get in, in their like niche mm -hmm. which is like vlogging or lifestyle so that's uh that's a good thing to keep in mind right absolutely yeah but i mean it still happens that uh, as you said that you get negative comments i think my personal way of trying to deal with that is first of all try to recognize if there is any value in that negative mm -hmm. comment like sometimes people will be just trolling for the sake of it and doesn't really matter what you do or say they will be trying to find something else negative to say at that point i think the only thing you can do is just try to ignore these particular people but some other time people will tell you something like i don't know you are suggesting to do this particular thing with i don't know some particular example maybe in software mm -hmm. engineering like to do this thing do it this way i had an instance a few months ago where somebody was saying me this is actually a terrible idea full stop and i was like okay tell me more and it turned out that I, I was actually suggesting something that wasn't that good as i thought because mm. there might have been some particular implications in terms of security in terms of code quality that if you were following my original advice very easily you might have ended up in a bad path from kind mm. of a software engineering perspective 
So I actually ended up taking that feedback. Like eventually I was pushing this person to give me like more insights. Like what am I missing? Tell me more. I'm really interested. Like I was trying to, to take a positive angle on that feedback. And actually this person was at that point very open and useful and they gave me a lot of background. And then I ended up creating a new piece of content out of that saying, by the way, I recommended this. It turned out I was wrong. And these are the reasons why. And thanks to all the people that contributed to kind of this piece of content telling me why it was a bad idea and what I should have suggested instead. So I think that was an extremely useful learning opportunity for me. But just because I, I wasn't really afraid about the negative feedback, I actually embraced that negative feedback, trying mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, is there something that I can learn from this experience? And like, it don't take people it personally, would... right? Exactly, yeah. I literally had the same experience with the with the MacBook thing. Like, I kind of engaged the because I always try to stay positive no matter what kind of comment mm -hmm. I get. Like, try to be professional about it. And I asked the I remember asking that guy who was you know kind of like criticizing my video. Like, what did I really say that bothered you? And he was like, exactly what happened to you. He was giving me some details that I did not know, and I had to make an updated video because Apple actually fixed that with a software update. But I did mm -hmm. not really like, you know, follow that. And, and he was really uh, giving me those insights. And it turned out to be like a good conversation afterwards. So I, I can totally uh, relate to that. So awesome. And I think it's also good for a content creator to show that, I mean, we, we are not perfect. We don't know yep. it all and we will do mistakes as long as we are open to accept our mistakes and make sure we redact them and we publish new updated content. I think that's just human nature and I hope that people on the other side appreciate being very human and trying new things, failing and then getting better and trying again. Yeah. And, and, and then you end up, uh, you know, uh, you, you end up, you know, showing your genuine side, right? And that's what really at attract the, let's say the good audience or the, the, the audience that you really want, the people that respect you for who you are. And we're all kind of learning in this journey, right? Absolutely, yeah. Especially in tech where things move mm -hmm. so fast that yep. you'll always be learning. Even in 30 years, you, you're, you're not going to be like an absolute expert because there will be so many new things and you are still trying to catch up with the previous ones. Absolutely. Ones. That's always going to be in, 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 in tech, but also in other fields like crypto or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Luciano, I want to talk to you about the book. So for me, you know, making a book or writing a book is the ultimate kind of level of creating content. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what was that for you uh, uh, in terms of the challenge and um, mm -hmm. what did you learn from that process? Yeah, so the, there is actually a very long story behind the book, but I'm going to try to summarize what mm -hmm. I think is, is important for your question. So as I said, this book is not something that I wrote myself from scratch. So it was an existing book written by Mario Gasciaro. So he did all the work around publishing the first edition. And, and actually, the interesting part of the story is that I wanted to learn this particular technology, Node.js, at the time. And I ended up reading this book even before knowing Mario and meeting him in person. So at some point, life uh, gave me this gift that I was able to meet Mario and talk with him. And we became friends because we, we ended up living in the same city, Dublin, Ireland. Mm. And uh, at some point after like a few months that we knew each other and we were just going out for beers and chatting, he, he told me, I, I want to work on a second edition because I think now there is a lot in, of innovation on this topic and it's due for a second edition, but I don't have the time to do it myself. 
I've seen your blog. You write a lot of interesting articles. Do you want to join me and we can do the second edition together? So that, that was kind of a scary but exciting moment in my career because at that time I was still feeling I am learning this stuff. Like I'm mm -hmm. definitely not an expert. I'm not going to have the experience to write a book on this topic while I'm still learning it. But at the same time, I thought this is kind of a unique opportunity because I'm not going to be doing that alone, but I'm going to be working with one of the most recognized professionals in this particular topic, in this particular subject. So I kind of embraced that opportunity and said, okay, even if I'm afraid now, let's, mm -hmm. let's try it and let's see how it goes. And actually I found myself learning a lot more than I thought, because even the things that I thought I knew very well, then when you try to put them on paper and explain this concept, you, you start to ask yourself so many questions and you realize, actually, I didn't really know how this thing worked. I, mm -hmm. I needed to go and try more things and study a bunch of different things, read the documentation, read the code base to really be able to explain to somebody else what's going on. So you end up when, at least for me, this was the process. I ended up questioning more and more of my knowledge to be able to explain it to somebody else. And then I think at the end, I came out which, with a much deeper understanding of all the different subjects. And of course, with a book, you have a bunch of editors. In this case, I had another author that gives you reviews and gives you ideas. So that's also part of the process where you get so many different inputs and you realize, okay, this thing could be done better or actually this thing was even wrong. Let me fix it and let me mm -hmm. correct it. But you are also fixing your own kind of perception of the topics and your own understanding of, of certain specific topics. So mm -hmm. I think it was an amazing experience personally, an amazing growth experience as a professional. But at the same time, once you have a book out, and in this case, I think we, we have been very lucky that the book has been recognized very well by the community. That's all, that also becomes kind of um, something that you are recognized for in the community and opens so many doors for, I don't know, public speaking, working in different companies, meeting other professionals and having interesting chats. So definitely an experience that enriched me in many ways. I'm sure of it. It's, uh, it's going to be awesome for your career. Uh, is, is there something that you learned from this process of getting involved in creating a book or uh, being an author that helped you afterwards with your content creation and other subjects that you kind uh, of talk about? Uh, I guess there are two, two aspects of this question. One is like before the book and after. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that, that before the book, I, I think it's important to recognize that I probably got there because I was already creating content. For instance, mm -hmm. Mario saw my blog, saw my articles, and he decided, okay, you are doing stuff that is probably good enough for you to be somebody I could trust to help me with the book. And, so and just, to, just to say something for people listening or watching this, uh, I, I guess, and you can correct me, you did not put that in your head that somebody will read my blog and then will get me involved in their book, right? It was just like creating content, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, but also it's more, even more interesting than that because the reason why I met Mario was because after I read his book, I basically went off and started to build a bunch of side projects just to exercise myself with the new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then I published one of these projects in an online community saying, this is my first project with this technology. I'm sure I'm getting many things wrong. What do you think? Just give me feedback. What can I do better? And I got so many feedback by so many different people, including Mario, who was one of them. And I was like, oh, it's so amazing to meet you because I was actually reading your book. And that's how we started to, to get into know each other. So I think the learning there is like 
don't be afraid of trying different things and sharing mm -hmm. them, even when you are sure you are doing a lot of things wrong. Because if you find the right community that supports you and gives you feedback, you have an opportunity to learn from your mistakes and get better and then meet people that you can keep interacting with during your career. So and that, that was definitely a big... Yeah. Don't overthink uh, about creating content. Like uh, you never know what who's gonna read it or what's gonna happen. And sometimes I feel like creators have this struggle of like, uh, you know, I'm creating content, but I'm not getting any any feedback, or the world is not opening its mm -hmm. big doors for me. And and I feel that if people can just stick to, you know, improving the process, creating more content, and and you know, becoming a better creator, like you never know what's gonna happen. And and your story now is, is a big eye-opener for a lot of people, I guess. Yeah, I think what's important there to realize is that you only need to be very clear and open about your where you're starting from. Like, you're, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't trying to sell myself, I am the expert of Node.js, yep. check out this project. I think that would have led me to a totally different path if I was doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, I probably would have needed a lot more confidence than mm -hmm. I have to, to, to do that. But at the same time, like, why should you lie about your starting point? I think you can still be valuable to people even just by just saying, this is my first project and this is how I did it. What do you think? I think there will be many people that are on the same level as you where they can see, oh, okay, let's see how somebody else is doing their first project with this technology. But also people that are a lot more experienced than you, they might be curious to see, okay, let's see this uh, a programming language from the perspective of somebody that is just starting, what kind of things are they doing well? What kind of things are they doing wrong? How can I help them to get better? So I think as long as you make very clear what's your starting point and mm -hmm. where you're coming from, you are still providing a valuable perspective and people can relate in different ways to that perspective. And, and if, you just you, yeah. To, yeah. if you just try to oversell yourself, probably you are not setting yourself up for success. So I guess yeah, the bottom line is just, just be very honest with your starting point, make it very clear at the beginning, and then you're still probably going to have something valuable for other people. Yeah, here, here's the funny thing, and I think you will agree with this. With the internet now and so much content that's out there, I think being genuine, like truly genuine, is one of like the most kind of like valued things that you could have online because now there are mm -hmm. a lot of like fake gurus fake experts a lot of content and a lot of creators they feel kind of overwhelmed with this and they say oh i cannot compete with that and i feel personally what, what i tell them or what i feel is that um just stay genuine to yourself and that will open the door for you because it's crowded with all the crap and all this kind of like fake stuff mm -hmm. so if you stay genuine you actually are you know holding to the gold of the online content that we have now which is basically uh, we have so much, you know, fake stuff out there that if you st stay true to yourself, that will open the door to you in many different ways. Yeah, and I think the other thing, uh, the other side of this is that people think that it's all of no or nothing, like either you are the guru yep. or, or <laughs> you are nothing. And I don't think that's true. I think there are so many shades where you can be positioning yourself and still get a lot of value. Like even if you are in a small community where people are talking to you every day, yeah, maybe you don't see yourself as the guru or the main person of reference in that particular field, mm -hmm. but you are still getting a lot of useful knowledge, interaction with people, growing your career or your knowledge, whatever that is. So again, don't think that it's an all or nothing kind of thing, but there is always like a journey where you start from zero and then you keep moving to, to the top if you want to, but you don't necessarily have to become the guru to 
to become, I don't know, a serious professional or mm-hmm. to just have fun or to just keep growing in an area that, that interests you. And a lot of creators, when they begin their journey, they usually are attracted to these kind of vanity metrics or mm-hmm. big names that, oh, I want to be that guy. I want to be the best in this. Uh, you can get there, but you have to go through the natural process. And that takes a lot of like humility, being genuine and, and just learning. Like you're not trying to fake it till you make it, which is something that I, I don't really like mm-hmm. this idea of fake it till you make it because uh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really work in terms of long-term uh, branding. Um, uh, Luciano, we were almost done with the podcast, so I have the last question for you. Can you tell us about your next big projects and where can people find you online? Yeah, so I feel like I have already way too many projects. So probably <laughs> my next step will be to try to drop some of them rather than starting new ones. Okay. But at the same time, I mean, I'm always very active chatting with people and looking for new ideas. And sometimes I'm not going to start a project myself, but I'd be more than happy to, I don't know, suggest exchange ideas uh, for other people that are maybe thinking, okay, should I start this project or not? So if you want to chat with me in that sense, you can probably, the best place where you can probably find me is uh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my nickname is Loige, which you will spell it as L-O-I-G-E. Very weird nickname, but mm-hmm. th- that's it. And so feel free to, to follow me there and just send me a DM. I'm actually chatting with so many people on Twitter and I'd be happy to, to keep chatting with new people. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if you prefer LinkedIn because you, you feel it's more of a professional space, that, that, that's a channel that works for me too. And you can easily find me there as well. That's awesome. And we're going to keep all the details in the show notes. So uh, with that said, uh, Luciano, thank you so much for being on the show. This was really so valuable. And I think a lot of people will find some inspiration and at, at least we can get like few people starting their journey from your story. So thank you so much for being here. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Bye. Absolutely. So thank you guys and see you in the next one. Bye.